0: CHAPTER Twenty-Eight OF THE RIDERS OF THE SILENCES BY MAX BRAND. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. For many a minute she waited by that campfire, but there was never a sign of the builder of it, though she centered all her will in making her eyes and ears sharper to pierce through the darkness and to gather from the thousand obscure whispers of the forest any sound of human origin so she grew bold at length to take off the pack and the saddles. The camp was hers, built for her coming by the invisible power which surrounded her, which read her mind, it seemed, and chose beforehand the certain route which she must follow. She resigned herself to that force without question, and the worry of her search disappeared. It seemed certain that this omnipotence, whatever it might be, was reading her wishes and acting with all its power to fulfill them so that in the end it was merely a question of time before she should accomplish her mission, before she should meet Pierre La Rouge face to face. That night her sleep was deep indeed, and she only wakened when the slant light of the sun struck across her eyes. It was a bright day, crisp and chill, and through the air The mountain seemed leaning directly above her, and chief of all two peaks, almost exactly similar, black monsters which ruled the range. Toward the gorge between them, the Valley of the Old Crow aimed its course, and straight up that diminishing canyon she rode all day. The broad, sandy bottom changed and contracted until the channel was scarcely wide enough for the meager stream of water and beside it she picked her way along a narrow path, with banks on either side, which became with every mile more like cliffs, walling her in and dooming her to a single destination. It was evening before she came to the headwaters of the Old Crow, and rode out into the gorge between the two mountains. The trail failed her here, there was no semblance of a ravine to follow, except the mighty gorge between the two peaks, and she ventured into the dark throat of this pass, riding through a gate with the guarding towers, tall and black on either side. The moment she was well started in it, the steep shadow of the evening fell across her almost like night from the west. Her heart grew cold as the air. A sense of coming danger filled her, yet she kept on holding a tight rein, throwing many a fearful glance at the vast rocks, which might have concealed an entire army in every mile of their extent. When she found the cabin, she mistook it at first for merely another rock of singular shape. It was at this shape that she stared, and checked her horse, and not till then did she note the faint flicker of a light no brighter than the phosphorescent glow of the eyes of a hunted beast. Her impulse was to drive her spurs home, and pass that place at a racing gallop. But she checked the impulse sharply, and began to reason. In the first place it was doubtless only the cabin of some prospector, such as she had often heard of. In the second place night was almost upon her, and she saw no desirable camping-place, at least any with the necessary water at hand. What harm could come to her? Among Western men she well knew a woman is safer than all the law and the police of the settled East can make her. So she nerved her courage and advanced toward the faint changing light. The cabin was hidden very cunningly, crouched among the mighty boulders which earthquakes and storms of some wilder early epoch had torn away from the side of the crags above. The house was like another stone, leaning its back to the mountain for support. When she drew very close, she knew that the light which glimmered at the window must come from an open fire, and the thought of fire warmed her. She halloed and received no answer, fastened the horses and entered the house. The door swung to behind her as if of its own volition, it wished to make her a prisoner. The place consisted of one room, and not a spacious one at that, but arranged as a shelter, not a home. The cooking, apparently, was done over the open hearth, for there was no sign of any stove, and moreover, on the wall near the fireplace hung several soot-blackened pans and the inevitable coffee pot. There were two bunks built on opposite sides of the room, and in the middle a table was made of a long section split from the heart of a log, by wedges, apparently, and still rude and undressed, except for the preliminary smoothing-off, which had been done with a broad axe. The great plank was supported at either end by a roughly constructed sawbuck. It was very low, and for this reason... Two fairly square boulders of comfortable proportions were sufficiently high to serve as chairs. For the rest, the furniture was almost too meager to suggest human habitation, but from nails on the wall there hung a few shirts and a pair of chaps, as well as a much-battered quirt. But a bucket of water in a corner suggested cleanliness, and a small round highly polished steel plate hung on the wall in lieu of a mirror, further fortified her decision that the owner of this place must be a man somewhat particular as to his appearance. Here she interrupted her observation to build up the fire, which was flickering down and apparently on the verge of going out. She worked busily for a few minutes, and a roaring blaze rewarded her. She took off her slicker to enjoy the warmth, and in doing so, turned and saw the owner of the place standing with folded arms just inside the door. "'Making yourself to home?' asked the host, in a low, strangely pleasant voice. "'Do you mind?' asked Mary Brown. "'I couldn't find a place that would do for camping.' And she summoned her most winning smile. It was wasted, she knew, at once for the stranger hardened perceptibly, and his lip curled slightly in scorn or anger. In all her life, Mary had never met a man so obdurate, and, moreover, she felt that he could not be wooed into a good humor. "'If you'd gone further up the gorge,' said the other, "'you'd have found the best sort of camping place, water and everything.' "'Then I'll go,' said Mary, shrinking at the thought of the strange cold outdoors compared with this cheery fire. But she put on the slicker and started for the door. At the last moment the host was touched with compunction. He called. Wait a minute. There ain't no call to hurry. If you can get along here, just stick around. For a moment Mary hesitated, knowing that only the unwritten law of Western hospitality compelled that speech. It was the crackle and flare of the bright fire which overcame her pride. She laid off the slicker again, and saying with another smile, "'For just a few minutes, if you don't mind.' "'Sure,' said the other gracelessly, and tossed his own slicker onto a bunk. Covertly, but very earnestly, Mary was studying him. He was hardly more than a boy, handsome, slender. Now that handsome face was under a cloud of gloom, a frown on the forehead, and a sneer on the lips. But it was something more than the expression which repelled Mary, for she felt that no matter how she wooed him, she could never win the sympathy of this darkly handsome, cruel youth. He was aloof from her, and the distance between them could never be crossed. She knew at once that the mysterious bridges which linked men and women, broke down in this case, and she was strongly tempted to leave the cabin to the sole possession of her surly host. It was the warmth of the fire which once more decided against her reason, so she laid hands on one of the blocks of stone to roll it nearer to the hearth. She could not budge it. Then she caught the sneering laughter of the man, and strove again in a fury. It was no use, for the stone merely rocked a little and settled back in its place with a bump. Here, said the boy, I'll move it for you. It was a hard lift for him, but he set his teeth, raised the stone in his slender hands, and set it down again at a comfortable distance from the fire. Thank you, smiled Mary, but the boy stood panting against the wall and for answer, merely bestowed on her a rather malicious glance of triumph, as though he gloried in his superior strength and despised her weakness. Some conversation was absolutely necessary, for the silence began to weigh on her. She said, My name is Mary Brown. Is it, said the boy, quite without interest? You can call me Jack. He sat down on the other stone, his dark face swept by the shadows of the flames and rolled a cigarette not deftly but like one who is learning the mastery of the art it surprised mary watching his fumbling fingers she decided that jack must be even younger than he looked she noticed also that the boy cast from time to time a sharp rather worried glance of expectation toward the door as if he feared it would open and disclose some important arrival furthermore Those old worn shirts hanging on the wall were much too large for the throat and shoulders of Jack. Apparently he lived there with some companion, and a companion of such a nature that he did not wish to be seen by visitors. This explained the lad's coldness in receiving a guest. It also stimulated Mary to linger about a few more minutes. End of Chapter Twenty-Eight